So I've spent the last couple of hours rescaping my 60 litre Amazon tank, which is, you know, it's the one that's my What We Do in the Shadows theme tank, where I've got two dwarf cichlids called uh, Laszlo and Nadia after uh, Matt Berry's vampire character in that and uh, and his wife. And they're sort of, they're quite a fractious couple. They nip at each other quite a lot, uh, which is fitting given the show. And yeah. like, epistogramma cichlids are really interesting. They've got this massive sense of spatial awareness and everything, they're quite intelligent, but everything they understand socially is based on the context of the stuff around them. So if you move around the stuff in their tank, like I just did, they literally think the entire universe is rebooted <laughs> and they don't recognize other fish. <laughs> so I watched them after I sort of took my hands out the tank and cleaned up. And I had literally eternal sunshine of the spotless minded, these two fish. <laughs> They were interacting like they'd never seen each other before because as far as they concerned, that they'd just been teleported somewhere and they knew they hadn't moved, but the world had changed. Therefore, everything must be new, including other fish. And it was really cute, actually. I think they've got a slightly a slightly more healthy relationship now. So they get on better now. Yeah. They they're just sort of hanging out under a bit of woods. They're like, you should have seen this 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 asshole I used to live with. Yeah, <laughs> my old roommate was such a b- but you know you're okay. You wanna you wanna get together, make some eggs. <laughs> so uh, so that's sweet. You know, an anecdote was good enough for Alice to give it the uh, the intro music. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I actually just do it when there's a, an adequate break in conversation. Yeah, I suppose my fish stories are proper conversation killers. So there are. <laughs> oh, I like your fish story. Do you think the fish universe reboot would work on like TV shows? Like if you got the Friends apartment and moved all the furniture around, do you think all the characters would just have rebooted relationships with each other? That would be an amazing concept for a series. Mm. That would be. Uh, I mean, it would maybe have made a better show. We. Yeah. Like they're all meeting different people because you know you you flip the sofa upside down or whatever. Yeah, which one of them didn't wasn't one of them a dinosaur man or something? I never actually watched Friends. Uh, that was Ross, the the worst friend. So what if, like, due to some work mishap, he ends up like infecting all of his roommates with cichlid DNA, and then yeah, they every time someone moves furniture. They all forget each other's identities. I mean, that that is an important point that they get infected because Friends was always very grounded in its science, which which I like. <laughs> what? Uh, before we get on to talking about video games, what is there? Why do cichlids do that? Is there an evolutionary benefit? It, like, is there a reason? Do scientists know why their brains work like that? That is a really good question. I don't know. It's quite often like there's a load of stuff that sort of obsessive amateur aquarists like are, are pretty certain of but there's not been any like proper research done on it so when it comes to the the hard answer it's just a sort of a shrug fair play i, I expect that's the case with a lot of science that we just don't realize we assume that you know, it's all it's all being sorted out, but a lot of the time it's just kind of like, eh. 
Well, there's, there's loads of fish you can buy that haven't formally been described by science yet. People have been like keeping them and breeding them and stuff for sort of 20 years in some cases, but no scientist has actually had time to do a formal description of the species. Well, are there that many fish? Oh, there's loads, mate. Yeah. But, See, there, but there are loads of insects as well. Presumably all the insects have been... Not even slightly. Oh. Uh, I mean, there's a backlog. There is a real big backlog. Listen, I didn't realise biologists were slacking off this much. Well, this is it. <laughs> too busy. This is outrageous. Too busy having Twitter beef about worms. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, that's opened a can of worms, hasn't it? I can't, has someone made that joke on Twitter yet? Yeah, it took a while though. Oh, good. So uh, I'll link this in the show notes, but um, uh, it was brought to our attention by Graham actually who saw it, that there was like a, a kind of... <laughs> There was Twitter beef because um, uh, one biologist who happened to be the editor of like a biology magazine called eLife or something tweeted that a certain species of worm was overrated. And then all the scientists that study and do research based on those worms um, said that his tweet was really offensive and dismissive and uh, took issue with him using the F word. Like he was just making a joke, but then some woman was like, this is how women and people of color get, you know, <laughs> ignored in science or something. Yeah. So then there was that whole thing about how the worm tweet was racist. <laughs> it was, I mean, maybe against worms. I think there's a case there, but it was, I don't know. The whole thing was, was a circus. It was brilliant. I love I love seeing it because normally we just see the really specific and stupid beef that happens in video games and it's kind of nice knowing that oh, yeah. there is comparable kind of weird little maelstroms happening in, in other really specific communities as well. Uh, and having said that, yeah, this is uh, the Electronic Wireless Show. We're seven, five-ish minutes in. Um uh, and this is not a podcast uh, about biology. It is, in fact, rockpapershotgun.com's uh, PC gaming podcast. And the only podcast you need, in my opinion, because uh, obviously we cover basically any topic we feel like. <laughs> so, <laughs> so on any given day, it might be a biology podcast. You don't know. Uh, but primarily games. And this week we've got a fun topic, which uh, I didn't realize, but is actually very dear to Matthew's heart and... Before off mic, there was a big screed about it. Do well, you want to? Yes, we're, we're talking about the the seven out of tens, and all I was saying was that I am very attached to scores. I come from a magazine background where scores play quite a key part, and I've spent uh, many hours of my career discussing not the relevance of scores, but like the art of scores, what score a game should get where scores fit in with writing and I, I'm just I'm of the belief that that scores are a, a good thing I like a score at the end of a review <laughs> I feel that a, a, a really well-written review can work in tandem with a score in a really beautiful way I give the example of a 10 out of 10 when you read something and it builds up momentum it builds up speed and that 10 at the end feels inevitable that's a really powerful thing um but, you know, we obviously don't use scores on rock, rock, paper, shotgun. So, you know, I, I, so, it's, that's irrelevant. So, so, yeah. There's an interesting matter. sort of um, subversion as well of that when, like, it's getting you really pumped up for a 10 and it's like a gladiator just absolutely thrashing some, like, wimp in the arena and then they've got their sword held over them and you look up at the emperor who is the end of the review and everyone's expecting the thumbs down, but instead he just pulls out a handgun and shoots the gladiator, and it's a six. <laughs> it can really make you expect one thing, and then it can say, like, yeah, but the main character is is a dead dog, so it's rubbish. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I didn't realise that this was a, a topic you were so interested in, Matthew. Well, but, I'm, um, yeah, I'm interested in the seven out of ten, because... You know, it's it's not just a number. Like there are some people I think talk about seven out of tens as if it's um, rather cynically they say that's where a lot of reviews begin. 
you know, the lowest a professional games review will go is like a seven, which just means mm. seven and below is basically all the same thing. Like, don't play it. But I think the seven out of ten, and a lot of people think the seven out of ten is that is actually a. It's more of a genre mm. of game. It's, Interesting. It's it's a it's a kind of game. It's it's and it, it can it can mean many things. We were discussing this in Slack yesterday. Like, it's rough around the edges. I mean, we'll probably talk about this in more detail, but my broad idea of a 7 out of 10 is something which is quite rough and broken, but has the spark of genius that could be in a 10, but it it isn't because it's for other factors. Um, Mm. And Or it's something which is quite poor, but for some reason will click with a very tiny subset of people. (laughs) And a 7 can be a 10 for, for some people is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, Alice, uh, Alice O, um, from uh, our news editor, uh, was saying that actually a seven out of ten is better than a ten, right? Because a, a ten is kind of was it she said like a ten is is sort of it's it's swaggering and it's expected and like it's just a big budget kind of whatever. Yeah. Uh, whereas a seven out of ten is kind of you know maybe more interesting and. Um, and genuinely beloved. I can't remember exactly what she was saying, but uh, she said she didn't trust anyone whose favourite games. It's a ten. Yeah, yeah. ten is like, like Mario. Ten, ten is the popular kids, where there are yeah. some people who want to hang out with like the skeeves who smoke behind the bike shed. They're the sevens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> do you, Do you think they can be the other way around to the first category you mentioned? So you, you said the classic seven out of ten is. Is something that's a bit, yeah, you know, a bit of a gimli, but it's got, you know, it's it's got something special in it. Mm. Can it be the other way around, where like uh. it's perfectly accomplished, but it's just quite mediocre? I I know lots of people who think that an incredibly polished nothing can be a seven. I personally am not of that school of thought. Um, I think that no. I, if anything, polish. I think polish is the defining factor in the sevens for me, or a lack, a lack of. Like for example, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that like a massive mega budget Assassin's like taking Assassin's Creed, it can be a seven out of ten, but it can't be a seven out of ten. You know, it can be. <laughs> it can be like a, a game where you're like, eh, but. I don't think it will ever have the. I think it is a charm or the kind of the the maybe the spark of madness or it's too too like machine made. I think to be a seven. Uh, that is fascinating. But I don't know. I maybe this is all absolute. Uh, d- so, I, I- <laughs> uh, but I it, but like in my heart, I know that like I don't think like EA have ever made a true 7 out of 10, mm. for example. But maybe in our discussion I'll be proven wrong. Well, uh, I said that as if I've chosen an EA game and I haven't. But I, I well, um, I, I think that maybe what a 7 out of 10 is is just something you feel in your heart, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, there's just, it, it, you just know... You just you just know when you come across it. So I mean, it's a uh, well, it, that's yeah, a, yeah. Well, like I was saying about the the score when you're writing a review and you get to the ten and it it feels inevitable. There's something about you know when you you're playing a seven and you're writing about a seven. You're like, this isn't right, but like I really going to recommend it. And I'm going to do that with a seven. Um, <laughs> it was interesting, wasn't it, the other week when we decided to give a, a mean aggregate score to all of PC gaming. It ended up as a seven. What was it? Seven point zero eight. Well, there you go. So but, uh, the classic. Well, I say classic. The example that people give for a seven out of ten, like your, like a good seven out of ten example, would be the Mad Max video game. Right. Do you agree with that as a as a good example of a seven out of ten, Matthew? 
and that that is a, that is an interesting one because it's it is a big it is a big production. It's by no means like it is quite polished, I'd say, for what it for what it is. Um, Have you played the Mad Max video game, Menelaus? <laughs> Menelaus, uh, I've I've watched quite a bit of it being streamed. It's very entertaining. So I re- I forgot to introduce everyone at the start. <laughs> I was too enchanted by all the the. I am Alice Bell, and I'm joined this week by Matthew Castle. Uh, and Menelaus. Menelaus. Hello. Who this week is being played by uh, Nate Crowley. Mad Max. It's very repetitive. I tell you, the weird thing about Mad Max is it's one of those map clearing games. It's like the Ubisoft model to like a T. It's not a Ubisoft game, but it's it's a tick all these you know tick a thousand collectibles off a desert basically. Yeah. But for some reason, it like. It does have a pull that those other games don't necessarily have. I don't know if it's the fact that, like, your car, you know, is your, like, means of, of transportation, but also, like, your entire life. It's like a little hub you take with you, and then you get out and you do some human stuff, some human interaction, by which I mean thumping, and mm. then you get back in the car again. I don't know if, if, like, the fact that you bring one car with you maybe elevates it into the into the interesting realms of the Seven. Maybe that's it. I, I liked that and I thought that it was very lovely and it had a very good photo mode at a time when photo modes weren't this ubiquitous kind of thing that they are now. I remember re- like Twitter was covered with lovely screenshots for a while. Mm. Um, and I did enjoy it. And I think it is a, quite a good example of a, a, a classic 7 out of 10 feeling mm. game. I always intrigued by games like Mad Max that everyone speaks like really favorably of when they come out and then they just vanish from the discourse forever because there's some games that are just talked about perennially not necessarily in a way that sort of even matches their sales figures but they're just sort of yeah they're just always in the discussion like Skyrim is so ancient now but there's always chat about Skyrim yeah yeah and then there's yeah there's these games that just sink without a trace despite not being forgettable maybe that's the nature of a seven out of ten though in that they are games which like almost designed to be forgotten but when you remember them they they are like a happy memory like they're designed to be remembered at a later date by mistake so you're like oh yeah that was good like putting together like like thinking about this podcast today i've had lots of like oh yeah i did like that actually and that's 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 quite key i think to a seven but like, it's not going it, to be in the brief, is it? It's not, no, but right, no, absolutely right, fellas, not. What we I, need. No one in, listen. No one sets out to make one of these things. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's that would be a huge, huge mistake. <laughs> um, but is marketing like, part of it? Or um, I don't think we should take marketing into account. I mean that there are. Well, I think that's one of the reasons Skyrim has. I mean, because Skyrim is busted. Are you telling us that you've put Skyrim on your list? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's bold. Skyrim is a seven out of ten. That is that is that is bold. And I'd love to hear the case for it. <laughs> well, hang on. Give, I'll do a sting. Right, Nate, defend yourself. <laughs> Oh, I feel really nervous now. I feel like I've st- stood up in a dictatorship and said, I've got an idea for a new form of government. <laughs> it's very dangerous to speak ill of Skyrim. I do like it, I do. But going by Matthew's definition of something fundamentally broken with strokes of genius, yeah, Skyrim. I mean, there's whole swathes of that game that are completely meaningless, like the alchemy system. Is worse mm. than no alchemy system. <laughs> the the combat's actually quite bad. It's very repetitive. Um, you know, the, there's there's a lot of things in there that just don't feel like they were either thought through or fully finished. But you know what? It's the first part of the first clause of that sentence that matters. There's a lot of things in there. But there is 
Skyrim is like a big handful of everything in the pick and mix. Um, there's so much variety in there. Uh, the scale of it, the the moments of accidental and deliberate beauty uh, make it incredibly compelling. And, you know, it is a game that I've played off and on since 2011. Um, interesting. But I don't think it's that good. It's an interesting one. Cause, and if it is, it's like... I'd say it's the it, it would be like the rare, if not maybe the only example of like a like a mass hysteria around a seven out of ten. You know, because I so I they're yeah. defined like they are defined by like they then they haven't got mass appeal. I'd say, but then like maybe it just speaks to like the the slightly damaged bit of so many people that it's having the seven out of a ten effect on a, on a, on millions. But I don't know. I, I, mm. I think it's like the blade, the Wesley Snipes blade of seven out of ten, like the day. Uh, <laughs> it's it, it's janky, but it's also a mass market sensation. It's blade. It's blade. I wouldn't. Say, it's blade as big in film as Skyrim is in. Games. Oh no 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 no! Um, the metaphor I was making is because he was a vampire that could walk about in the daytime. Oh right. So okay. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. What was uh, I it, my my bad. <laughs> When was the last time you watched the Blade trilogy, Matthew? Oh, not not for you. I saw Blade three at the cinema, and I don't think I've watched a Blade since. Same, actually. A uh, Blade two's good. Blade three's what's, amazing. What's the one where Ryan Reynolds says a really bad swear word? Three. That's that's the third oh, one. Yeah. The second one's the one where that that chap from the boy band's face turns into like the Predator's face. Oh, it's quite heavy. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the Guillermo del Toro uh, one. <laughs> I don't think Skyrim's a 7 out of 10 because it. I think maybe Skyrim, if it came out now, is like a 7 out of 10. Like a, if it came out now, it would be like endearing Euro jank. Do you know what I mean? But like, I think at the time when it came out, it, it, was, it was not a 7 out of 10. Um, I just think, but it's just because it's it. It's got such a a long lived fan base who keep modding it and stuff. I don't but know it's... if a seven out of ten can happen in a massive on running. I don't think an on running series can necessarily. Oh, maybe no. Actually, I take that back. Uh, I was going to say I didn't think a sequel in, in a in a big famous series could suddenly serve up a seven. But actually, I've got things which are part of series, so that's not true. <laughs> So I don't know. I don't uh, know. Be- I, it's a really controversial one. Yeah. Uh, Listener, if you have thoughts about whether Skyrim is a 7 out of 10 or not, email us at podcast at rockpapershotgun. The thing is, it com. might be a 7 out of 10, but not a 7 out of 10, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, basically, if you're really angry with me for saying it, then I recant of everything. <laughs> I'm not um, angry. I, I seem, I've just never heard anyone make the case for it being. Oh, not not you. Your respect means nothing to me. I'm, I'm talking <laughs> to the listener. <laughs> um, okay. Well, Matthew, why don't you serve us up a, a so, steaming heap of seven? I think I think a classic seven out of ten is Sherlock Holmes' P- Crimes and Punishments. Oh yeah, very good. I think that is. A game which is like I say this lovingly, generally crap by like like modern standards in terms of like the, some of the voice acting and the writing for quite a story driven thing aren't aren't quite there. But it has mechanically, it has a really good idea, which is that you collect lots of clues in every case and then you stitch them together in his head and you can basically stitch the same clues into uh, different suspects. So you can basically make the case for multiple suspects in each case and then accuse anyone of being, the, and, and the game will kind of accept that. As long as you've made the case, you can basically, you know, as long as it's watertight, you can accuse anyone. Um, and to say that, then the story continues. Like you, you can basically accuse them, finish the case, and then you can tell the game to reveal whether you were right or not if you actually want to know. Um, it doesn't really amount to much, but I really like the idea of a crime game that did let you 
accuse multiple people. I thought that was really, really cool. Was um, this the one with the, the, the Watson who was like a Doctor Who monster? Well that's that's one of the early well this is the thing, this is this is a this is part of an ongoing series. Uh that yeah. was a few games before. That had the whenever you turned around, Watson was always there. Yeah, Creepy like the Watson. weeping angel. <laughs> yeah. It was um, to do with like because Watson was supposed to follow you around, and they just they it, the code was sort of like Watson moves when you are not looking at him, sort of thing. But it just meant that sometimes he would walk from like the wrong edge of the room, or like you turn around and he'd just be there. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's pretty frightening. But I but but kind of against the 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 core of it is actually quite a good mystery solving game. Like they basically boil Sherlock Holmes down into like 20 mini games like everything every interaction he has is a mini game of a kind you know like um the, and the really the one that always sticks with me is there's some clues that he puts together by smell and he basically you get a stink cloud and you have to rotate the stink cloud until it forms an image which which tells him what the smell was of except they're all quite broad national stereotypes so he, he goes into a train station and there's a big stink cloud and he rotates it until it becomes a picture of a swamp of a sombrero and then yeah. he goes oh there was like a spanish guy here um, which is like pretty ropey um, <laughs> oh, no yeah that's not great there's lots of things where he imagines like you can like ima- you imagine crime scenes, and then it all plays out with ghosts and stuff. He's just—he's more mini game than man. He's just a, a really strange creation. Uh, but I, I do like—I <laughs> I do like the the crime system. I think could be built out into something really good, and they are trying. I think you know they tried doing it in um, that what was that Lovecrafty one that that had a similar uh, the Sinking City. Yeah, there's Frogwares of the studio. And mm. yeah, and like I think they know they're onto a good thing with that idea because they have stuck with it. Like I think it, it was in the next one, the uh, Devil's Daughter, Sherlock Holmes, the Devil's Daughter. Yeah, and, and they are um, they're doing a new one. Yeah, with like young Holmes, isn't it? Yeah, it's a prequel. Um, also, Holmes looks like John Hamm in one of them, which is odd. Yeah, it's in the, it's the the Devil's Daughter where right. Holmes and Watson both kind of got quite sexy. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a, like a lot of confusing and mystifying stuff. It's it's classic 7 out of 10. It, yeah, I agree. I think it's really good. I think that you'd really like it, Nate. I think it would be I think I might like that actually. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh I dropped another big take yesterday in saying I don't care for detectives. <sighs> oh yeah, and me and me and Matthew were both out incensed outraged yeah well because i'm you know on this podcast with the the world's two greatest fans of the detective genre but <laughs> my, that said i used to really enjoy the uh the ian rankin books about the clever scotsman um he was a detective yeah what was he called rebus that's it yeah i like <laughs> clever and yeah, so it's it's not like the famous I'm, series Rebus, the clever Scotsman. <laughs> I'm not like allergic to you yeah. know deduction. So yeah, um, I might might try that out. What's it called? No, the one I want to try? Sherlock Holmes: Crimes and Punishments. It's got it's got actually. Not only can you accuse anyone, but you can also then decide whether to actually hand them into the police so you can get scenarios where you not only accuse the wrong person but you're like but don't worry i'm gonna let you go and to which they must be like all right <laughs> you know like <laughs> absolutely baffled like well it wasn't me but fine yeah if you're gonna let me go then sure that's cool um like it's he, so he arrogant letting the wrong man go you, you don't have to do too many fest fights Oh, like there's a few quick time events. It's, it's like it's not an action game at all. It's a no, no, oh, relaxing. Sounds good. There's a thing where you throw a harpoon at a pig. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, shall I? Yeah, hit us up with throw. If, if throw, right. throw your harpoon at the next seven out of ten pig. Uh, so I'm taking aim at uh, a more recent offering. But I'm going to say uh, vampire or vam- vampire. 
that uh, that recent one where you play a, a docker, a doctor. Oh, right. Um, who becomes a vampire, and then you sort of stump about this section of London, um, making sort of uh, moral decisions uh, about because basically the vampirism is um it's done that thing where it's like oh a plague um and so vampirism is is making people sick um and certain key people in different areas have become vampires or ghouls or whatever and you have to sort of track them down and investigate things and then you speak to them and they might sort of persuade you that they're not that bad or that the best thing to do would be to let them live and you can choose different responses you could kill them and then you have to fight them or you can be like right i'm gonna leave you alone or uh i'm gonna turn you into a vampire kind of thing and that will then affect the city so the next time you go out for a runabout it will be terrible because you killed the midwife who was secretly treating people um Mm. or like it'll be all right because you killed the Catholic Sorry. priest who was secretly a zombie kind of thing. Well, so it's like an, an RPG where the individual quests all have like isolated effects on the world as a whole. That's not cool. in not entirely. Um just the sort of there are some main ones, I suppose. Um that uh where, yeah, like each section basically has like a, a pillar of the community, they're called, mm. who who will be like, so one of them is this priest who runs like a sort of night hospital or like a sort of shelter um, that treats people. Um, but he has accidentally become a ghoul. <laughs> so you turn up and talk to him um, and are like, mate, what's going on? You're a ghoul. Uh <laughs> Uh, you're secretly eating people. Uh, and he's like, yeah, he's got a terrible Irish accent. Uh, he's like, yeah, I am to be sure, but um, I'm only eating a bit of people so I can not go proper ghoul and uh, and I'm looking after all these people. Um, so he might convince you to leave him be, but if you do that the next night, it turns out that he has gone proper ghoul and he's basically like destroyed the whole district. Yeah. <laughs> or like, it's, it's like, a, yeah. a, 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 it feels like, like one of the best attempts at doing the whole to drink or not to drink and the consequences yeah. that follow. Um, yeah. So it, it, it has some really good ideas. Like, for, like, like you leveled up by drinking blood. By throwing a harpoon at a pig. By throwing a harpoon at a pig. But, um, you leveled up by drinking blood, but then that made you a worse person and also made the district worse if you killed too many people. So mm. it was I, a very good kind of double I like that bargain. You could, what's the thought of, is it ra- in Rapture or in Trance, the thing where vampires kind of mesmerize, sort of, mm. and, and, and you can like mesmerize any NPC and like lead them to a shady corner to have a little, to have a little drink. That was quite fun. Yeah, yeah. and I, there are loads of really, really clever things it did and, and I thought a lot of the time the atmosphere was really good as well um, but so what made the, it bad? oh the boss fights were really bad it was quite um, a bad action RPG around all that interesting stuff yeah like the, like they should have just have not had any real combat in it really <laughs> basically because the combat was bad you had to you there were Templars you'd just turn up in the streets with like big crosses being like oh God and stuff, um, and you had to oh, fight I them. Like the, and, the, like, the, I like the there were like the heavy guards had like big crosses on the top of sticks, and yeah. it just like sort of shoot kind of Christian God energy rain. at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it just wasn't the combat. Just wasn't very good. And there was one boss fight against like your sister in a graveyard, and she made like evil roses grow out of the ground at you and stuff. It was just really bad. Um, but but the but the the in the RPG bits around it were really good and were the sort of best vampire take I think there's been for a long time in games. Mm. Um, 
And when then you had your that was, sorry. When did it come out? I want to say twenty seven, eighteen, eighteen. I think twenty eighteen. Totally passed me by. Fascinating. Yeah, it's made by plastic seven out of ten, mate. Yeah, made made by uh, don't nod. So like all their life is strange kind of choice and consequences stuff, but married to a bit of a bit of a rough action game. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a really good shout. I think that's that's a that's a classic seven. Because I think Thank some you. people will absolutely love that game. Oh yeah, like because it does the Victorian stuff quite well. Well, it's quite that. Like the whole thing's quite dour, isn't it? It's not like um, yeah, it's, it's not quite campy. Grim. It's like the opposite to Vampire the Masquerade. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah, it it leans much more into the like tortured nature of being. I'm a monster. Yeah, um, kind of thing. Which is, I guess, why they made him a doctor who wants to help people and and you know uh, cure people, and at the same time he's like, "God, what am I? These curse, these hands, kind of thing." <laughs> um, but you can also have a good old slurp on a cock thing. Uh, I really me. thought that. Was, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Crikey. <laughs> it's not that kind of podcast. Are there any good Frankenstein games? Ooh, there, uh, was, there was a sort of artsy one that came out at the end of last year. Um, the Wanderer. The Wanderer, yeah. Which I think was quite a straight adaptation of the novel Frankenstein. It was like Frankenstein being awakened to nature and learning how to speak by listening to people and all that jazz. Oh, I wish there was like a White Wolf game called like Frankenstein's The Mangling or something <laughs> that could be a game where you just like... <laughs> You're in Seattle and you become a Frankenstein and you're hanging out with all the other Frankensteins, like learning how to groan. But you just know it would be like, oh, you know, this game's really going to delve into the kind of the moral quandaries that faced Frankenstein's monster. And it'll be like, go to, in each region, there are five power stations where you can suck <laughs> out the power. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> You just know it'll be like it'll be Frankenstein kind of sucking power out of like plug sockets and TVs to get his health back, and it would try and sell itself as having like deep social relevance because people like spitefully call him a bolt neck on the street. (laughs) (laughs) I like that we've just created a seven out of ten Frankenstein game. Absolutely, Frankenstein's the mangling. Someone make it. Um, <laughs> Nate, have you got a less spicy take that you can Yeah, us? I was going to save Skyrim till last, actually, but you te- teased it out of me. So my, my way less controversial one uh, is a strategy game. And then, well, having said way less controversial, the problem with doing anything other than praising strategy games is that there will be people out there who have devoted a decade of their life to it and don't think it could be approved upon. It is very much a horses for courses thing. Um, But I would say Rise of Nations, if you've ever done a play on that. I have not not either. You have to make the case for the 7 out of 10s. Yeah, have you come across it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like... It was... Somewhere between Age of Empires and Civ in terms of what it was. It's very much an RTS, but you put down cities like in Civ, but on an Age of Empires type map, Mm -hmm. and you had units going from like Brutes with Sticks through to Stealth Bombers and that. Okay. Um, And it was good. It was very much... uh, a sort of a mass spamming units type game uh, played a bit like Total Annihilation in some ways, strangely, in that it was very, I would say, macro rather than micro focused. Um, and it had some really clever systems in it, like um, attrition and stuff. Uh, like when, you know, uh, enemy units were in your territory, they would get steadily weaker and if you were every civilization of course had a bonus so if you were the russians for example you would attrish twice as hard on 
on enemy units in your your territory. So, it, yeah, that, I'm pretty sure it's a verb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it did a lot of. It applied a lot of non-RTS concepts or wider sort of turn-based or more slow-paced strategy concepts to an RTS and was really quite inventive. Um, but it just sort of fell away and it hasn't had, you know, it's it, it doesn't come up in discussions about, you know, the classic RTSs all that often, which is odd because it's it's better than a lot of its contemporaries that still get talked about. And I can't quite figure out why that is. I may be, and this is one of the the facets of the 7 out of 10 that I wanted to to posit, I think maybe it just had a bit of a lack of personality, which is, I know, a very subjective thing to define. Mm -hmm. But it... Yeah, mechanically great, really engaging, superb to play multiplayer with friends. But put it like this, there's no single sound effect that sticks in my head. I played quite a lot of it, but there's no sort of sound effect or like a weird voice line or a, you know, the equivalent of the castle in Age of Empires 2. Like, that is a sound. Once you've heard it, it never quite leaves you. <laughs> this sort of self You'll be humming it on your deathbed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea that a castle had an acknowledgement sound. <laughs> like, it was... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, little things like that. But this is my best theory for Rise of Nations. I admit it's not a very strong one, but I can't think of anything particularly characterful. I can just think of things that were elegant and clever. That I think character is, is an aspect that, that you, you know, is present in a, in your great seven out of tens. Yeah. It's I know plenty of seven out of tens which are are bad games, but have enough character. So they're like they're basically the reverse of Rise of Nations. Mm. Um, but something which is so devoid of character, can you truly love Rise of Nations? Yeah, and like um, you know, it's not even like you know, it's not all in monotones. Um, it, it's, I'm not saying it's like this deathly dull sort of. <laughs> somber game like it's chirpy enough but it's it's not quirky there's no quirk, quirkiness to it it's tricky I'm, I'm gonna put my hands up and say i i you know i i'm not sort of well versed enough in strategy games to necessarily like see where the natural seven out of tens would lay like in some mm. genres you do you like you know what the like I, I, there are a lot of seven out of tens which are third-person cover shooters, just because I think everyone knows it, so it's kind of easier to identify if that makes sense. Yeah. Where in strategy, like I don't know, I, I personally, I don't think I'd be able to identify a seven out of ten strategy game because I don't necessarily know like the nines or the tens. You know, you need the, the full scale. Now, as we talk, I realise I've got another monster incoming my way. Because uh, let's look at the scores that Rise of Nations got when it came out in 2003. Edge, 7 out of 10. Yeah. Well, Edge is with me. Eurogamer, 9 out of 10. Game Informer, 9 out of 10. Game Revolution, B+. Well, it has to be someone. GameSpot, 9.3. Oh. GameZone, 9.5. IGN, 8.2. PC Gamer, 93. Oh, my Maxim, word. 8 out of 10. So, I mean... I'm not good at this, I think, is, is the conclusion <laughs> we can come to. Not, mm-hmm. if, not everyone like naturally gravitates towards the sevens, though. That's the thing. Like, it's it, a very personal thing, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, like, I, I, I can see the case for that more than the case for Skyrim, I think. I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't I'll think... be honest, the Skyrim was just a hand grenade rolled into the conversation. <laughs> I hadn't actually chosen it as one of my seven out of tens, but when you asked, I thought I'd just make <laughs> things interesting and see if I could style it out and make a case. But, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know with you because that could be true, or you could equally have just made that up. So there you go. Yeah, it's just a a web of tricks. That you you are the conversational hand grenade, Nate. <laughs> I've just disappeared in a cloud of ink, haven't I? Um. Uh, Matthew, do you have another one that you want? Yeah. To- so I. I was going to, I had quite a few, but like they all kind of, a lot of them blur into one another. Uh, another seven out of 10 trait. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to make the case for binary domain. I don't know if either of you have played binary domain. I have not, but I, I have it's heard of it. It's basically the Yakuza studio. So Mr. Yakuza decided to make a third person cover shooter uh, set in a world where there are lots of ro- like robots that go crazy and you have to shoot the robots, which is not the best setup in the world, but it's kind of got like those slightly melodramatic Yakuza-esque cutscenes where, you know, it's, it's, so it's kind of all dialed up to 11, which is quite fun. Um, it's, it's quite, uh, some people would be quite upset if I call it quite a bland shooter in terms of it, it's very like A to B, Gears of War, go through this environment, hide behind the thing, shoot the thing. But what elevates it is the robots themselves are incredibly satisfying to shoot. Um, they've got limbs that are, they're almost sort of ceramic in the material. So when you shoot them, they shatter. So Ooh. you're firing and you're shattering limbs off things. And it's, they're a bit like Terminators. You shoot their legs off and they carry on like crawling along the floor. Um, I'm pretty sure, it's, it's been a few years since I've played it, I'm pretty sure if you shot their heads off, they'd actually go mad and attack you. Like it was worse if you shot their heads. Ooh. Or, there were some, or there were some robots you weren't meant to shoot their heads because they'd then like gallop at you or whatever. Um, God, that sounds horrible. But like the actual... <laughs> second to second act of shooting ceramic ish robots, I think is incredibly satisfying and puts it on a, like a, like way more satisfying than shooting most things in third person shooters. But the actual game itself maybe didn't have the variety to kind of carry it. You also had, you had AI companions who you could give uh, vocal commands to over your headset mic, which I could never really get to work. It was like, go over there, uh, hide behind there or whatever. Um, but you had lots of different companions who you sort of formed relationship with. And if you fought alongside them, like your relationships with them could improve, if I remember oh, that's correctly. Fun. Yeah. And one of them was a French robot. Um, just inc- like it was just a robot, but he was French. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was it. That was his deal. Did it have any like French themed special well, like, abilities? Yeah. Well, you know, it'd be like Zuda Laws and things. <laughs> uh, Good Lord. It'd be like, je m'appelle a robot. (laughs) Sherlock Holmes would be able to smell him from miles away. Giant, baguette-shaped mushroom cloud. There's a a curious kind of through line with your picks, Matthew. Uh, It's, but like, I know lots of people who'd say, actually, Binary Domain is like a genuinely good game. Like, it's an eight or it's a nine. Uh... I think it's ropey enough and f- and looked upon fondly enough and loved by few enough that it is a 7 out of 10. Um, but what I also wanted to use that was a slight opening up, and this is, this, is, this is my not controversial statement, but maybe a controversial ask. Is the Yakuza series a 7 out of 10 series? Consi- considering it is so... It's really picked up like critical acclaim but i don't know if that's like i don't know if it's a seven out of ten that's snowballed and at its heart it is a seven out of ten and it just well, looks what bigger you're talking than about it. there is a, a cult classic isn't it? it well there's a lot of there's a lot on the venn diagram a seven out of ten in cult classic there's there's a lot of crossover um and you're asking is the the accuser series where they meet well yeah maybe i i don't oh, know i don't I, know like They've become such big business. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I just don't have an answer. I just wanted to put it out there that this is something that has troubled me. Uh, it's troubled. Do you wake up in a sweat thinking, where would I place it on the 100 best games? of? No, I've, I've only ever reviewed one of them like professionally. I reviewed, and it was the spin-off one. It was the judgment where you played a 
Japanese private eye instead of a thug. Um, but he was still a private eye. He did most of his investigating by sort of dropping people through tables. So it was, yeah. you know, it was largely Yakuza-esque. But when I was writing the review, like I ended up giving it like a six out of ten, I think. Ooh. And, but then I see people who are like, that was one of the games of last year. And I was like, was that a seven out of ten? I just didn't know. Like, what happened? Um are you like are you like one of those you're like a, an old beat cop and you and you're like maybe I'm losing it. Oh maybe I am. Maybe my, like is is Yakuza the, the the one that got away, you know? Is it the is it the cold case? Am I Jack Nicholson sitting on that bench at the end of the pledge? If you've seen the pledge, <laughs> you'll know that's very sad. <laughs> that's such <laughs> going like will I ever solve this child murder? <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> That's very much the sound effect for the end of the pledge. Oh my god! Uh, now this this is interesting. Um, did you know our very own Alec Meyer, who used to be at RPS, did a big list article of the the classic seven out of ten action games on PC? Did he? Yeah, four years ago. And there, uh, let me tell you, I think, yeah, a lot of these fit the bill we've been discussing. For example, Brutal Legend. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That was the Jack Black game. Oh, yeah, with the metal music. That was the thing that looked like Zelda, but then turned into a strategy game. Yeah, but with Lemmy. <laughs> 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 a freaking design document for that one. <laughs> uh, do you remember Enslaved Odyssey to the West? Oh, classic. That is a classic seven. Um, and Alex said, I, this, I'm really taking easy mode of this podcast by just reading a former writer's opinions. <laughs> uh, he says, I rather suspect Enslaved desperately wanted to be a nine out of ten breakout hit. And yep, it's... It's got that vibe to it, hasn't it? Mm. It's very pretty. It had Andy Circus in it. I don't think it's pronounced circus. Circus. Andy Circus makes him sound right. like a a clown who's also <laughs> right. useful at DIY. No, I'm putting I'm putting a stop to this. <laughs> With that artfully deployed sting, uh, we've just got time to look at some of the uh, listener responses on Twitter. Uh, you threw that sting on us like a weighted net. <laughs> it's honestly, it's one of the best tools I have. Um, it's basically a shut the fuck up button. I wish sorry, I had Alex. one of them. I could stop you swearing. Sorry. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. <laughs> uh, so we asked on Twitter what some of your favourite 7 out of 10 games are uh, and got quite a few responses, uh, including McGarnacle, who says vampire, vampire as well. Okay. So I'm justified there. Um We've got a couple of people, uh, including Chris Somethingson, uh, who uh, said Dragon's Dogma, uh, as well as Ben Tung. Oh, Gabe Newell actually replied, saying Skyrim. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I I think Dragon's Dogma might be too actually good. But I don't know. All I, I remember, really remember is that you could climb like all over cows, like they were built. Like you could literally <laughs> get on a cow's back and then crawl under its belly. Yes, you could. Oh, this is a great shout from. Uh, K Wall, Kingdoms of Amalur. Oh, I uh, well, I actually had that on my list. 
Oh, well, but there you go. then it went against my EA have never made a 7 out of 10. But then I thought, well, actually, they have King Games of Amalur. Yeah. Okay, so so 7 out of 10, it's getting a remaster, but only maybe more content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was just a relentlessly massive RPG with not a lot of flavour to it, but like enough that you would play it for a hundred hours, chop, you know, doing the same chopping animation for a hundred hours. Yeah, it was like an RPG that sort of felt like a uh, like an ARPG. Yeah, odd one that. Definitely that seven out of ten. Definitely seven out of ten material. Uh, Tom says Maneater, which uh, Nate played recently. The most seven out of ten game I've played in years. It's wonky, trashy, and repetitive, but the uh, the gameplay loop is so satisfying. Uh, Nate, do you agree that it has seven out of ten status, or do you like sharks too much? Uh, I do like sharks too much, which is why I bloody hated Maneater. Uh, it's an <laughs> you insult. Hated it. I did. Um, it was. No, uh, do you know what? I'm going to put it aside. Um, I I totally agree with that tweet. Like, I've got a big bee in my bonnet, or it's, it's a shark in my bonnet, I suppose, about, like, boneheaded stereotyping of sharks. If it hadn't have been for that, if I was less up myself about it, I would have found Maneater a straight down the line 7 out of 10. This is absolutely yeah. right. That the, the the sharking about in it is as as good as Echo the Dolphin was back in its day. It's very, very, very jumpy and fluid and, you know, weighty. But, yeah, it's got the, the, the least imaginative world design. It's, it's one of those games that just didn't have to be an open world and is is a lot duller because of it. So yeah, great shout. Seven out of ten. Mm. Uh, uh, Alness says the Dark Siders series. Technically comp- uh, competent and very earnest, but not setting the world on fire. I, I don't know. I feel like Dark Siders might be a bit too rubbish to be a seven out of ten. Oh. I don't mean rubbish like bad, bad. I mean like, you know, when you're like, oh, it's just a bit rubbish. Yeah, it's it's quite a good. The first two anyway are quite almost good sort of Zelda-y clones too, definitely. Like, and not many people have a go at the Zelda thing. You know, the big dungeons and you get gadgets which cure the you know cure solve the dungeons. Um, uh, maybe I'm just. Uh, I don't know. If anything, I'd say I think Dark Souls Two is a bit of an eight out of ten. Like, I don't I don't think it's got the charm, but I actually think it's like sound enough that it's it's like an eight. But well, there you go. You're, uh, seven out of ten can't be too good or too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it is very Goldilocks. We're in such a strange place with where we've reasoned ourselves. It's like it's not quite good enough to be a seven out of ten. It's an eight. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's such a good summary of what a seven out of ten is. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's powerful. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 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 That's my favourite of the audio stings because it yeah. does sound like Matthew. Nice. <laughs> See? Indistinguishable. Right. Uh, I think we should uh, gather up our sevens and blow this popsicle stand. What do you say, fellas? Yeah, let's get in the car and go go beat people up for nails. Uh Thank you very much, listener, for listening to uh, this episode 103, I believe, of uh, the Electronic Wireless Show, Rock, Paper, Shotguns, gaming podcast, and the only gaming podcast you need, in my opinion. Um, I am Alice Bell, and I've been joined this week by Matthew Castle. Hello. Oh, goodbye. (laughs) And and Nate Crowley. Uh, And you can follow us on Twitter. Um, you can uh, where we're twitter.com uh, forward slash rock paper shot uh, Matthew can be found on the video channel uh, which is youtube.com forward slash rock paper shot gun rock paper shot ah uh, I always get the mixed up okay that's okay it makes no YouTube. sense youtube.com forward slash rock paper shot uh, and uh, you can find all of us 
uh, on www.rockpapershotgun.com, of course. Uh, and if you like the podcast and you like RPS and you like having friends and talk about games, uh, then check out our Discord. Um, there'll be a link to it in the show notes, but it's very nice for people chat and organize playing games and stuff. And if you really like RPS, we have merch uh, with some lovely uh, descriptions thereof, uh, some lovely t-shirts uh, available on teespring.com forward slash, slash stores forward slash rock paper shotgun um, with some lovely designs there, including the RPS Goliath, uh, which I'm really fond of. Don't know about you. Um, I'm his dad. Again. Sorry? I'm his dad. Yeah. Um, tune in uh next week to see if we ever do our five nights at freddy's book club review oh but just one more thing (laughs) recommendations oh we have got to do recommendations Mm. my goodness matthew what are you recommending this week uh i'm going to recommend another podcast uh i'm going to recommend the big picture podcast which is maybe known to lots of people i don't know i've only only been recently listening to it the last couple of months it's a film podcast uh quite like this one they chat about things they do some excellent list shows though and i particularly recommend they did their hall of fame uh dad movies uh which actually are i think the dad movie is kind of the seven out of ten game discussion but for films (laughs) and they they have a very in-depth debate about what dads do and don't like in films and i thought it was it was excellent that does sound excellent. Uh, Nate, what are you recommending this week? Oh, no. Oh, why did I bring this on myself? Well, you you could have... It's like when the teacher forgets that they've set homework. But you oh. are the child that rem- reminded the teacher whilst not having done your homework. That is... That's honour, if nothing else. But um, the, the thing is, just there's nothing in my life right now other than like my family and fish tanks and you know PC games, which actually is quite nice. But uh, yeah, sod it. I recommend another plant. Uh, so I'm going to recommend Amazon Frogbit. Uh, it's great. Grows really quick. Lovely. Um, Beautiful striated green circular leaves that grow in little clusters on the water surface, trailing a, a pleasant beard of roots. Uh, again, not just for fish tanks. You can get a sachet of Amazon frogbit for a few quid off Amazon. Um, it's not like spawned by Jeff Bezos. It's from the river Amazon. Right. Um, but you could just put some in a vase or something, and that would be very pleasant. It would make marginally more oxygen in your room so there you go excellent very very well salvaged there i don't think anyone noticed that was good uh i am going to recommend um a so there's uh i watch a lot of essays uh video essays on youtube um and there's a channel that I discovered the other day through the youtube algorithm recommending something useful and not you know right-wing propaganda um it's a channel called eldena double cast but with a five instead of the uh the s and it's quite a new channel um uh and it does like a lot of kind of um fandom stuff um but it's got uh as yet new and very short series uh called when posting goes wrong um that is um, kind of like it covers some of the weird stuff that can happen on like on the internet and like big moments in kind of internet culture. So there's there's a, a video on uh, the Tumblr witch who got got caught stealing human bones. <laughs> um, the Hamilton fanfic writer who pretended to have HIV for clout. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, the my favorite one is this hour long video on uh, the Harry Potter fandom's greatest con artist, which was about this this woman who invented like a whole 
person and then also like 20 different sock puppets to either be friends with or persecute this person and she did it for years and became like one of the most famous people in the harry potter fandom until it all came crashing down it was it's really interesting kind of little weird internet culture bubbles uh so i'm gonna recommend that because i enjoyed watching them this week sounds well good very interesting yeah uh so yeah thank you very much everyone uh thank you for reminding me to do recommendations Nate. uh and thank you both for joining me for this lovely podcast my pleasure we we now must just say goodbye to listener goodbye everyone goodbye farewell Mm.